Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. You know, we, before we get into Philippians, or this is all, you listen, it's all part of the same bubble here. We're just going to flow with the Holy Spirit if that's okay. Um, we, have a, we have a thing that we like to do in our culture, which is that we tend to prioritize knowledge over experience. And it's good to have a knowledge of the scripture. It's good to have a working understanding of what the Bible says. Um, so long as our knowledge leads us into an interaction with and an encounter and an experience with the author of the Bible. I was thinking about this a lot this week, how we, we do so well as, as students of the word to, to learn and to study and to pursue what the word of God says, but sometimes if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in our own study because it makes us feel good and it makes us feel smart that we forget that the purpose of these beautiful words, the purpose of this Bible is to bring me into an experience with the one who wrote it. That the purpose for me to know and understand the word of God is that his word has a way of wooing me into him so that I become like Jesus. And when, when, Philip, when Jesus said to Philip, Philip asked him, Lord, could you show us the Father? And, and Jesus looked at him and said, Philip, how long do I have to be with you, man? Like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I think that our, the purpose for us to dive into the word of God is so that eventually people look at us and they can't tell whether or not they're looking at us or Jesus. That our lives so reflect what we read, not because of tedious memorization, I'm not against memorizing scripture, but not just because we made the pursuit of God's word an academic thing, but because I'm, I, I just find Jesus on every page and I just fall more and more and more and more in love with him. I want us as we go forward into this, not to just think of our time in Philippians as a Bible study for the purpose of knowledge, but as a Bible study for the purpose of encountering Jesus. What if we just looked at the word and we saw Jesus on every page? How would our lives change if we pursued him through his word? I'm feeling a little tender this week because I've just had some of the most glorious time with Jesus this week. I don't know why, it's just been so good. And I hope that it spills out in what I share with you today. I'm gonna to take a little, about 30 minutes to just go through the word, a few minutes more maybe. This is part seven, I think, of Philippians. We said this was a summer series and we were gonna take our time through it. And so that's exactly what we've been doing. Uh, for those of you who were with us last week and those who saw us online, we took a detour from Philippians last week to talk about something that the Lord had really put on my heart and the heart of our leadership team which was to talk about, uh, y'all remember it, we can't sit here forever. Uh, and, and that was a really good, if you missed that one, you can check it out on the podcast. Thank you, Tim Putnam, for all your excellent work with those podcasts. Turn to Philippians chapter three. Today we start chapter three. Oh man, this is so good. 
Rather than take a lengthy review like I normally do at the top of the message, if you missed uh, the end of Philippians chapter two, just go find it in the podcast. I promise you it'll be super good. Amen. Or well, it'll bless you. I don't know if it was super good. I was preaching it. That's probably pretty dumb for me to stand up here and say it was super good, but hopefully it meant something to you. Philippians chapter three. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for breathing on your word today, Holy Spirit. You are so wise. Philippians chapter three. We're gonna try to get through verse 11 and see how far we go. Philippians chapter three, beginning at verse one, says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law or in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There is simply so much in chapter 3 that I think we could take the whole summer to talk about chapter 3. But I want to try to do justice to these first 11 verses anyways. We'll see. We'll see if we get that far down the passage. But Paul really helps us in our pursuit of Jesus. He begins in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I think it's funny when Paul, anytime Paul says finally in the scriptures... It reminds me of a joke, and I promise you this joke is actually better than the first one that I told. <laughs> there was a joke that we heard growing up, which was, what's the difference between a French man and an Italian woman? And my mother's a pure Italian woman, so I could say this. What's the difference between a French man and an Italian woman? A French man leaves without saying goodbye, an Italian woman says goodbye and never leaves. And that's very much true if you know my family. We, we take a half hour to say goodbye, and then we walk to the couch, and we take another half hour to say goodbye, and then we get to the door, and we say goodbye, and then it's another 30 minutes in the front lawn trying to get to the car. This is how Paul writes his letters. So every time you see the word finally, it's like the first of five finalies. He's starting to land the plane, but he's got a lot more to say before the letter is over. And he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
I thought about this yesterday as I was washing dishes in my kitchen. What does it mean to rejoice? The idea of the English word rejoice is to joy again. Joy again. And this highlights for us a very important concept. Sometimes you have to read between the lines in the scripture. This concept that Paul's sharing with us, this idea of continually stirring ourselves up, rejoice, joy again. I think so many times we find victory or we find a moment of joy or we get a moment of breakthrough in our lives and then two or three days go by and we feel like we lost it. And we ask ourselves the question, what is wrong with me? I was happy three days ago. What happened? Well, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all the stuff that he talks about in just a few verses, those things are like showers. You have to take one every day. You don't say, oh man, I showered on Monday, Monday it's Thursday, I stink again, what's wrong with me? We don't say that, do we? But, we? but sometimes we have a moment of joy in the presence of the Lord and then life goes on and circumstances come and things seem to suck the joy out of us and then we go, I'm not happy anymore. I don't have any joy anymore. What's wrong with me? Nothing. It's just time for a refill. Hey, come on. You missed a good chance to say amen. It's t- listen, it's time for a refill. We're like sponges. We leak. You could fill a sponge, and then you could fill it up with water, soak it up in a tub or something or in a sink, and set it on the counter. And if you just leave it there for a few minutes, just the weight of the water itself will just start to ooze out of the sponge. Well, you and I are created like sponges. Sponges, we're created to receive and reflect. I was out in the sun yesterday mowing my lawn, and I mowed without the shirt on, my shirt on, much to the dismay of my neighbors, and, and I was, because I was wanting to get a little bit of sun on my shoulders, you know, and, and so I, I was laying in bed last night, and I got just a little sun-kissed. It was perfect. It's exactly what I wanted to happen. I feel really good about it, and I'm laying in bed, and I could, you ever lay in bed after you get a little sun, and you can feel the warmth on the pillow? Isn't it amazing that what I exposed myself to, I was now radiating. I absorbed a bunch of heat from the sun while I was mowing my lawn, and now I'm laying in the bed, and I can feel myself radiate the heat that I absorbed. What would happen if you spent time in the presence of God, and you just absorbed him to such a degree that everywhere you went, you just radiated what you absorbed? Here's the reality. You do that whether you want to or not. We always radiate whatever we've absorbed. If you're full of the Spirit of God, everywhere you go is a fresh aroma of God's presence. But if you fill yourself up with a bunch of negativity, if I soak my sponge full of the cares of this world, everywhere I go, I'm just releasing and emanating the cares of this world. It's an automatic function of being a human being. God created us to receive and to reflect his goodness to the world. So Paul, at the very top, I told you we're probably not going to get to verse 11. Paul, at the very top of this chapter, says, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Joy again. Go back to the presence of God. If you need joy, listen, how many of you have a fridge in your home? Right? How many of you, you have something in your fridge that you like? Some kind of you know, treat or, or something, snack, dinner, whatever. If you're hungry, 
Chances are, as a functioning adult, you know how to find what you're looking for in your fridge, right? So nobody has to coach you on where the pickles are, right? You just, you know they're in the fridge. And when I want some pickles, I know where to find them. Listen, if you're looking for joy, it's really, really easy to access. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 said, In your presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I remember getting a revelation. Guys, would you put that up on the screen, Psalm 1611? I didn't give them any warning, so. I remember when, when Sean and I were in youth group, I think I was probably 18 years old maybe, and I, got, I was leading worship in the youth group, got a revelation of this scripture, Psalm 1611. In your presence, you show me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. Watch this, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can I ask you a question? Who's seated with Jesus? Or excuse me, where is Jesus seated? Is he, is he at the right hand of the Father? And who's seated with him? You, me, right? I like to read the scripture this way. You show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy where Jesus is our pleasures forevermore. At God's right hand, which is where Jesus is, which is where you and I are seated, is the greatest pleasure and joy that you can experience. No wonder Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Get some joy on the inside of you, my friend. Too many of us, so many times in life, too many of us try to go without joy. We try to go and we just, we think we're, we're doing a good job of pushing through, but sometimes we just need a joy refresh. And I'm telling you, if you know how to find the pickles in your fridge, you know how to find joy. It's in the presence of the Lord. It's that, listen, it's at the same address every time. It's at the same address every time. In the presence of the Lord, there you find joy. Okay, all right, I can see you're ready for me to move on. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write these same things to you is not tedious, but it is safe. I, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. We understand what he means when he talks about tedious because he's already mentioned several times in this book, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. This is one of the themes of Philippians is joy. So he's saying, you know, I don't mind writing to you over and over again and reminding you constantly to rejoice in the Lord. And he says, for you, that's safe. And when I read that word safe, I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. So I looked it up in the Greek, and of course, it's, it's the similar, or it's the, it's the word that means safe, and it's, it's, but it's the way that it's used is interesting. It's kind of like, have y'all ever been to the, to the county fair, and you get on the Ferris wheel, and you sit down in the seat, and you look at the person running the Ferris wheel, and you look at the Ferris wheel itself, and you sit down in it, and you turn to your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and you say, is this thing safe? In other words, is it going to hold me? Is it going to collapse under the weight that's being put on it right now? Paul says, for me to remind you of rejoicing in the Lord rather than being tedious, it's actually safe for you. It's building a foundation underneath you that will sustain you. 
Now you understand why Paul says that the joy of the Lord, or excuse me, you understand why Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul says, it's, it, far be it from being tedious, I actually want to remind you again and again and again to rejoice. Why? Because the more you rejoice, the more you find joy in the presence of the Lord, the more stable and sturdy and safe you are. Isn't that powerful? Beware of dogs. <laughs> this is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. How many of you just think Paul probably could have skipped that whole verse? Like, Paul, we're talking about having joy, and now you're talking about dogs. I wish there was a clever, like, clever thing about the Greek word for dogs there, but it's not. It really means dogs. Like, like dogs. I'm actually going to define these in reverse. So let's talk about the mutilation first. When he talks about the mutilation, what he is referring to is referring to a group of people called the Judaizers, who every time Paul went to a new city and planted a church, he would be there and then he would leave. And after him would come this group called the Judaizers. And what they said, they would come and infiltrate Paul's church that he planted, and they would say, man, we heard Paul was here. Hope you guys had a great time. Here's the deal. Now that you've received Jesus, you need to be circumcised like us Jews. And their whole goal was to try to convert Paul's Christian converts into Jews. And they did that by telling everybody, you need to be circumcised. That's what Paul refers to when he refers to the mutilation. It's the mutilation of the flesh. Then he says, beware of evil workers. That's pretty self-explanatory. Beware of people who are working evil things, doing evil things. This is all the same group of people that he's describing. Then he says, beware of dogs. And the word dogs, while it does mean a canine, it was an idiom, it was a metaphor that was used to describe men with impure thoughts. So what Paul is saying to the Philippian church, he's saying, I'm not with you right now. Remember, he's writing this book from prison. He says, I'm not with you right now, but I know for sure there's a group making their rounds who's trying to come, he's going to try to come to you and convince you that in order for God to truly save you, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the rules of the law. You need to follow the Hebrew traditions and the Hebrew festivals. You need to be Jewish if you really want to be saved. But how many of you know that wasn't Paul's message? Paul's message was the gospel is to anyone who believes. So he's, this, these three things that he talks about is all one group of people. Beware of the people that are coming to you with impure thoughts, working evil, trying to circumcise you to tell you that's how you get saved. Beware of them. Why, Paul? Let's keep going. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, who rejoice in Christ, and who have no confidence in the flesh. Let's camp here for a minute. We are the ones who worship God in spirit. Wow. You know, your worship is more than a melody. It's more than a song. It's more than, you know, uh, the hype before the message on Sunday. We are the ones who worship God in spirit because we actually have a working relationship with him. 
We are the ones who rejoice in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. I want to submit to you this morning that verse 3 is a perfect recipe for life. Like if you're going through life and you're struggling and you feel like you're not moving forward in the areas that you need to move forward in, what if you just took Philippians 3.3 like medicine every day? And you just said, you know what, today I'm going to worship God in the spirit, I'm going to rejoice in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to put no confidence in my flesh. What would your day look like? It would be awesome. Robin said, awesome. Yes, ma'am, it would. Wouldn't it be phenomenal? Now, what would happen if you did that on Monday and then you decided to keep the streak alive on Tuesday? And you just decided, you know what? Today, just like I did yesterday, I'm going to worship God in the spirit. And I'm going to rejoice in the person of Christ Jesus. And I'm going to put no confidence in my flesh. That'd make for two pretty great days in a row, wouldn't it? And then what if you just said, you know what? I'm going to do that every day that ends in a Y. And just start, keep, let's, let's just keep that streak alive as long as we possibly can. I want to worship God, not according to me, but according to him. I want to worship him in the spirit. I'm not here to say, to, to say my worship and to say my prayers because of who I am. I'm here for him because of who he is. I'm going to worship him in the spirit. And I'm going to rejoice in Christ Jesus. I'm here to tell you that if you make a habit of rejoicing in Christ, you won't get irritated by the same things that irritate you. I've you know, publicly confessed to you before that I have a temper. My dog knows my temper. He's born my wrath. But I, I'm here to tell you, because I said this a couple weeks ago, the Lord's been helping me with my temper, specifically using my dog to help me I'm not even kidding. I know it's funny, but it's true. Specifically, the Lord's been using my dog as, a, as an opportunity to teach me how to control my temper and how to have a spirit of self-control. Because that fool just chews everything and jumps on everybody. And... But the more that I rejoice, here, here's the point. The more that I find myself rejoicing in Christ, the less given that I am to lose it and to snap and to react. I heard Bill Johnson say this and I thought it was so good just recently. He said, we tend to react to what the devil does in our lives. We tend to live a life that's reactive to the enemy. He said, the problem is Jesus never lived in reaction to the devil. He only lived in response to the father. He said, I only do the things that I see my father do. I only say the things I hear my father say. So he did not live a life so focused on the enemy. He just lived a life focused on what his father was saying and doing. And I'm here to tell you, if you and I will learn to rejoice in Christ, it'll change us. And then, of course, he says, put no confidence. Have no confidence in the flesh. How many of you figured out life is not about what you can accomplish in your flesh? Life is so much greater than what you and I can accomplish in our own flesh and by our own abilities. How many of you figured out you need grace to do the will of God? Amen. You can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. I need grace. Let's keep going. 
Let's see. Maybe we'll get through like five verses. I don't know. We got uh, 12 minutes. Timers be darned. Okay. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Watch this. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Paul bragging? Because he gets ready to go on a long list of accomplishments. So is he bragging? No, he can't possibly. He's the great apostle Paul. He's too smart to do that. If anyone has confidence in the flesh, or excuse me, if anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so. And now he's going to tell us why, he's, why he could have confidence in the flesh. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That was the tradition. That was the custom. Uh, if a male child was born in uh, Israel, they were circumcised on the eighth day. It was the day that marked new beginnings. It was the it was it was the day that they were that their life was marked by God. A Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. I don't have time to pick all this apart, but there's so much in this. If you understood what it took to become a Pharisee, that would sound very impressive. Did you know that when they were 12 years old and they were getting ready to be inducted into Hebrew school, they had to take a test to see if they could handle, if they had the chops to be a Pharisee? And part of the test was to recite verbatim Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy from start to finish. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. When you were 12 years old and you were getting ready to get inducted into Pharisee school, your entrance exam was to quote the entire Bible. So Paul says, when it comes to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the top of my class. I got so many gold stars in Hebrew school. You have no idea. Again, is he bragging? No. We'll find out why in just a second. Verse 6. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. I was so zealous for the Hebrew tradition that it actually caused me to persecute and kill and destroy the church that I'm now supporting. What a marvelous, what a marvelous change. Oh, can I stop here for a second? If anybody ever have any, any friends or family neighbors, coworkers that you think there's no way this person could receive Jesus? Or am I totally alone in that? No, you got people in your life right now, don't you? That you're like, man, I would love to lead so-and-so. To st- I would love to see Johnny get saved, but uh, you know what? He's so far from God. I'd love to see Sally get saved, but she's so far from God. There was no one farther from God than the Apostle Paul before his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. All it takes, listen, all it takes is one encounter with the risen king to totally change your life. You can go from persecuting the church, killing the Christians that you're now feeding with this letter. Wow. I like, again, I I don't know why I'm quoting Bill Johnson a lot today. He says, uh, I love this. He said, when God wants to do a work in somebody's life that's that's not a Christian, that's far off from him, he puts him into his one-step program encounter with Jesus. That's his one-step program. I'm not against 12-step programs, but when you got Jesus, you only need one. Come on, that's good. When you Listen, when you got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when you've got the risen Savior, you only need one step, and that is look at him, see him, have an encounter with him. Amen. All right, let's keep going. 
Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Oh my gosh. Paul says he never sinned under the law. He says he was totally blameless. That's intense. Let's keep going. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me? (laughs) These I have counted as loss for Christ. What things were gain to me, these things I've counted as loss. You remember when I asked the question, is Paul bragging? This is the verse that definitively shows you that he's not. He's simply saying, you know, I've got a pretty long list of natural accomplishments, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, those natural accomplishments don't mean a hill of beans. And I believe rather than Paul's words coming across as bragging, what he's really doing is telling those Philippians, if I could be who I am in Christ, so can you. If I can count all this stuff as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of knowing Christ, if I can do it, so can you. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the ex excuse me the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my lord for whom i've suffered the loss of all things i count them as rubbish oh the new king james is a great translation but it's one of those ones that pacifies the text sometimes a little too much this is the word that i mean it means dung it means poop it's the harsh it's one of the harshest words in the new testament it's just this side of swearing in the Greek. Literally, Paul's saying, everything that brought me to that point on that road of, to Damascus, everything that my life stood for, for all those decades, all those years of study, every ounce of it meant nothing when I got in front of him. Oh, come on. Come on. Get that, please. It, like, like everything in his life didn't mean a hill of beans when he actually came face to face with the one who was and is and is to come. And I believe that there's so much happened on that road to Damascus that it took Paul literally the rest of his life to sort it out. I really do. I believe that God God did so much in Paul's life in that short little span of time in Acts chapter 9 on the way to the road to Damascus that it took Paul the rest of his life on earth to sort it out and figure it all out. Did you ever have an experience with God mess up your doctrine? Two of you? Okay, that's good. Amen. No, did you, listen, did you ever think a certain way and then you, get, you see Jesus face to face and all of a sudden everything you thought was the way that it was? You need to, you need to sort it all out now. I got to take a step back and figure some stuff out. I'm telling you, we were made for encounters with God. We were made to absorb and radiate his goodness. We were made like that sponge You are made to live with Holy Spirit sunburn where you're just constantly seeing him and seeing him and knowing him and being interacting with him and then everywhere you go, you just emanate his goodness. That's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus and he he got so radically transformed, his life flipped around and he said, no longer am I persecuting the church, I'm now planting churches. I'm now building up the church. I'm gonna write two-thirds of the New Testament 
Paul went from being the farthest from God he possibly could be to now he's God's favorite. I'm here to tell you, you're God's favorite this morning. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what you came from, you're God's favorite this morning. And you were made for encounter. What things were gained to me, I've counted as loss. And yet indeed I count also all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as poop. (laughs) That I may gain Christ. Oh, that we would come to a place in our life where everything that's not of him stinks. How many of you live outside of the county, uh, outside of the uh, city limits, so you have to take your trash to the dump? Can I see your hands? Most of you. Okay, great. I, I'm with you. We live out in the country, so nobody comes and picks up my trash. And if it hangs out at my house for too long, I've discovered it doesn't get better. <laughs> right? Right? It doesn't get better the longer I let it sit. It's not one of those things that'll go away on its own. <laughs> What if our life was so fulfilled in Jesus that the things of this world, the longer they stuck around, the more they stunk. The more I was quick to get rid of my temper because I'm so pursuing him. What if it was that I, I just, you know, I, I, I love this, uh, this creature comfort. I love to watch uh, certain shows on television. But, you know, the more that I pursue him, the less and less and less appealing that stuff gets. Oh, you know, it's starting to stink. Mm, it's got flies. Oh, the, the pile's getting a little higher, and it's just not getting better. What if, what if we... What if we huh, Mm. Oh, man, help me, Holy Spirit, to say this stuff the right way. What if we came to the place that it was easy for us to lay aside sin? It was easy for us to lay aside distraction, not because we were trying to do it so hard, but because Jesus was so good to us that that just smelled more and more and more and more and more. What if we got to the place that who he is is our absolute obsession and anything that comes short of who he is, I just don't have time for it anymore. Can I submit to you that that's how you overcome addiction? That that's how you break off patterns of sin in your life? If you're struggling to walk in forgiveness, this is how you do it. You don't try super hard to forgive. You just look at Jesus until he by himself changes every bit of unforgiveness in you to where it just smells. It stinks. I don't want any part of it. I count it as loss. It's rubbish. It's trash. Paul writes in the book of Galatians, my time's just about up. Paul writes in the book of Galatians, he says, If you then walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You see, we spend so much of our Christian time trying to work up our willpower to put to death the deeds of our flesh. And I'm not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm going to try really hard. 
going to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I'm not going to sin. 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 I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to steal. Oh, doggone it, I lied. And we work so hard to try to get better. And listen, there's nothing wrong with discipline. There's nothing wrong with routine. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. We need to take the principles of the Bible and live by them. But I'm here to tell you, you can't do it by yourself. The only way that you can do it is to stare at him, is to look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The only way to live in the spirit all the time is to have Damascus Road experience after Damascus Road experience after Damascus Road experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to rejoice in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to put no confidence in my flesh. Everything I ever put confidence in, in my flesh, just piles up like trash and it starts to stink. I've suffered the loss, verse 8, of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Can I have five more minutes? Is that okay? Y'all good to stick with me for five minutes? Okay. My timer went off, but I don't care. <laughs> Listen, this is too good. When you, get to, when you just get around Jesus, you don't want to leave. When you get in his presence, it's just so easy to stay. It's what's going to make eternity so fulfilling. Yeah. Ooh, hallelujah. I'm going to leave that alone, or else we'll go another direction. Be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which comes from God by faith. How many of you know you can't be righteous on your own? You can't be righteous on your own. What is righteous? What is that word righteousness? What does it mean? It means perfect right standing, perfect fellowship, perfect unhindered communication with the God of the universe. And that only comes by faith. You can't work for that. You can't earn that. You can't do enough good stuff to get righteous. As we close, I want you to think about that word for righteousness. It means perfect fellowship and perfect connection with God. I was having a conversation with my friend Jonathan this week, and he's a stonemason. Some of you know him, Jonathan Arnett. He's a good friend of mine. And he works construction. He builds walls and chimneys, and he, he works with stone, and he's pretty actually pretty amazing at it. And he said, you know, he said to me, we were having breakfast, and he said, you know, it's pretty amazing, Josh. He said, I, I meet people because he does real high-end work, so he does high-dollar high work. He says, I meet people who have way more than I have. I meet people who, you know, they, if I look at them in the natural, they seem to have all this stuff together. They got a lot of money, or they got a big, giant house, or they got really nice cars, or they have, they have something that I wish I had in my life, basically, is what he was saying. And he said... And then I stand back and I look while I, I observe 
the situation while I'm building a wall at their home or while I'm fixing a problem. And I, I realize that though they have all this stuff, they don't have God. And if you know anything about my friend Jonathan, he is, he is an, an evangelist, but perhaps more than anybody I've ever met in my life. Dude gets so many people saved. He is a walking Bible. And he just, he is. And he just blesses people with the word all the time. But he said, you know, it dawned on me one day, I was working on this person's house, and it dawned on me that, that though they have all this stuff, I'm the one that God talks to. I thought, boy, that's strong. Though they have all the stuff, though they have all the additions of life that are comfortable, that are enjoyable, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things, I believe God wants you to be blessed. I believe you should be so blessed and so prosperous that your life is just a blessing to everybody that you encounter. I believe that. But it's all a pile of stinky trash in comparison to knowing him and to having righteousness which comes by faith. What does righteousness looks like? look like? Righteousness looks like I'm the one he talks to. This one over here has a lot of nice things, but I'm the one in conversation with the maker of the universe. Righteousness looks like I get to talk to Jesus anytime I want to, and he actually listens, and he actually cares what I have to say, and he actually wants to be near you. He, guys, he wants to be, God wants to be closer to us than we want to be to him at any moment of the day or night. He, he is in that moment. I'm telling you, right this second, God wants to be close to you. I was driving this morning. I have to do this without getting teary. I was driving this morning, and Abigail, it was Abigail's turn to ride with me in the car. The girls take turns each week. They swap, except for Sophia. She's not very good at moving equipment. <laughs> She's pretty small. <laughs> and I'm driving, and it was Abigail's week, and she was ready to go. Pigtails, Bible, sandals, flip-flops. She got everything ready at the door. I'm ready, Daddy. Let's go. And we're riding, and on the way in, she was telling me something. I don't even remember what it was. But I just thought, you know what? Kid, I love you so much. And I just, I told her that. I stopped. I just said, hey, I love you so much. I think you're amazing. I think you're so special. You're beautiful. I love, I love when you laugh. And she said, oh, daddy, I love you too. <laughs> oh, daddy, I love you too. And I said something to her. I said, right now, you're too far away from me because you're in the back seat. And I said, if I could do it without crashing this car, and if we had time that we didn't have to be to church to set up, if we had time, I'd stop and I'd give you a hug and a kiss and I would pull you close because even though you're in the same car, you're still too far away. And I'm here to tell you, that's the heart that Jesus has for you. 
That's the heart that your heavenly father has for you. The righteousness that you have is not from the law. It's not given to you because you did everything perfect. It's not given to you because you got all the, all the A pluses and the gold stars in Hebrew school, Paul. It's not any of that. That's all dung. That's rubbish. That's a pile of dirty diapers. What's really valuable is the fact that he talks to me and I talk to him. What's really valuable is that I have such a perfect righteousness because of what Jesus did. I have such perfect fellowship with God that even when I'm in the back seat, he says, you're too far away. Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm meek and I'm humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. I'm here to tell you if you're struggling today, if you need Jesus to come and take a load off today, it's as simple as getting into his presence and getting out of the back seat and getting into his lap and saying, Lord, I just love you and I'm just so happy to be here because whether you, want to, whether you know this or not, that's what he wants. Even at an arm's length away, he says, oh, baby, you're too, you're too far. Come here, come to me. <laughs> so one of the greatest, one of the, the greatest thing you'll ever do is know God. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life is to know him intimately. We don't have time to get there today. I gotta stop, I've already gone too long. But the, the coming verses, we'll look at them next week. He starts to talk about knowing God. And I'm, I want to submit to you today that the greatest thing you'll ever do is know God. And the greatest thing you'll ever receive is him knowing you. I want to say that one more time so that you get it. The greatest thing you'll ever do is to know God intimately. And the greatest thing you'll ever receive is for him to know you. What did Jesus say in the book of Matthew? He said, depart from me workers of iniquity, I never knew you. He says, you knew about me, but I never knew you. It's the greatest thing in the world we could ever hold on to is to truly know Jesus and for him to know us. It is the chief endeavor of humankind. It is what you will spend eternity doing, knowing him. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.